Right now, switch your family to T-Mobile and get four lines for $25 a line with AutoPay and 5G access included on America's largest 5G network. So don't wait. Get unlimited and nationwide 5G access for the whole family for just $25 a line. Visit a T-Mobile store or T-Mobile.com today. Plus taxes and fees. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using over 50 gigs a month due to data prioritization. Video at 480p. Unlimited while on our network. Qualifying credit for plus lines required. Capable device required for 5G. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain features. See T-Mobile.com. Hey everybody, welcome to Firescape. Hey y'all. We are two dudes from Alabama and a Welsh Londoner talking stories, talking transatlanticism, telling stories, talking transatlanticism yep. and whinging about life in the big city. Today we're just two dudes from Alabama and you might hear Ritter breathing, the dog, <laughs> the official Firescape dog breathing <laughs> in the background. Um, today we are really leaning into the telling stories part. We said that we were going to do that last week, but... Sometimes, you know, sometimes things we change. things change. Uh, we actually just had a better idea into, uh, you know, the story was a little longer. We ended up having a longer conversation with our boy Howell, uh, who is still in Berlin. Mm, I assume so. Yeah, still in Berlin. I mean, he is, yeah. Well, as far as you know. Yeah. As far as I, I ain't know. seen him. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He could I mean, be anywhere. Yeah, I guess now. he could be anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, he it's could be same. anywhere. Maybe he's in, maybe he's in the UK. Who knows? Yeah. Romania, Either way, maybe Romania. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, I don't see why he couldn't be. I just don't see why he would be. Well, that's well, that's kind of I guess my thing is I I don't really see why he would be. Anyway, we know who Howell is at all and what he really does. Yeah. So Howell could be a big. One of us could have been playing Howell the entire time. Many of you listeners have never even met him, so you would have no idea whether or not we just made up the existence of him or not. Yeah, there's no real way of knowing. Um, with that being said, this is the fire escape, and uh, I just noticed that Pete has a little door on the side of his uh, computer, and I don't know what it does. I don't know, man. It's 2008 technology. Yeah, it's mysterious. I'm talking about probably has to do with robots or. Aliens or something. Something they definitely thought was going to be a thing. Yeah. And then just kind of isn't a thing. No, not at all. Yeah. Well, anyways, uh, today's episode is going to be a little different. Uh, I'm going to read a story by H.P. Lovecraft by the Moonbog. Yeah. Happy Halloween, everybody. Today yeah. is Halloween. And if you're listening to this after Halloween, well, happy Halloween, it was Halloween. next year. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, and then Peter is going to tell us about the Bell Witch, oh, yeah. which is a... Uh, Middle Tennessee, get that southern, that southern, southern folklore tale mm-hmm. in there. Um, so we hope you enjoy this very special, spooktacular episode, All Howl's Ween Part Two. Yeah, I forgot the the weaning. <laughs> I forgot about that. The con the the conjuring, but not with a Y where the O should be. Yeah, and maybe where the U should be too. Yeah, true. Yeah. So, uh, with that being said, let's enjoy the first story. The Moonbog by H.P. Lovecraft. Somewhere, to what remote and fearsome region I know not, Dennis Berry is gone. I was with him the last night he lived among men, and heard his screams when the thing came to him. 
but all the peasants, police, and county meath could never find him or the others, though they searched long and far. And now I shudder when I hear the frogs piping in swamps or see the moon in lonely places. I had known Dennis Berry well in America, where he had grown rich, and he congratulated him when he bought back the old castle by the bog at Sleep Kildare. Sleepy Kildare, you know? Mm, sometimes sleepy you should uh sometimes you should just read the word that it says it was from Kildare that his father had come and it was there that he wished to enjoy his wealth among ancestral scenes men of his blood had once ruled over Kildare and built and dwelt in the castle but those days were very remote so that for generations the castle had been empty and decaying decaying castles Ooh, i know yeah. about those yeah pete definitely knows about those <laughs> Pete, uh, feel free to you know pipe in with with any imagery that you you feel, or just sound effects or whatever you want. <laughs> All right, I'm on sound effect duty. All right. After he went to Ireland, Barry wrote me often and told me how under his care the gray castle was rising tower by tower to its ancient splendor, how the ivy was climbing slowly over the restored walls as it had climbed so many centuries ago, and how the peasants blessed him for bringing back the old days with his gold from over the sea. <laughs> Oh, gold from over in Ireland. But in time there came troubles, and the peasants ceased to bless him, and fled away instead as from a doom. And then he sent a letter and asked me to visit him, for he was lonely in the castle with no one to speak to save the new servants and laborers he had brought from the north. The bog was the cause of all these troubles. As Barry told me the night I came to the castle, I had reached Kildare in the summer sunset, as the gold of the sky lighted the green of the hills and groves and the blue of the bog, we're on a far islet, or islet. Is it islet or islet? I don't know. Uh, no, that's okay. A far islet, a strange, olden ruin glistened spectrally. Glistening spectrally. Interesting. That sunset was very beautiful, but the peasants at Balio, that is the most. Balio. Oh yeah, Ballyo. that's the most that's the most Irish name I've ever heard. <laughs> had warned me against it and said that Kildare had become accursed, so that I almost shuddered to see the high turrets of the castle gilded with fire. Barry's motor had met me at the Ballylow station, for Kildare is off the railway. The villagers had shunned the car and the driver from the north, but had whispered to me with pale faces when I, they saw I was going to Kildare. And that night, after our union, Barry told me why. The peasants had gone from Kildare because Dennis Berry was to drain the great bog. For all his love of Ireland, America had not left him untouched, and he hated the beautiful wasted space where peat might be cut and land opened up. The legends and superstitions of Kildare did not move him, and he laughed when the peasants first refused to help. <laughs> Wait, why they gotta cut me up? Is that P-E-A-T? P-E-A-T, yeah. We're not cutting... Well, we'll, we'll get see. there. And then cursed him and went away to Ballylow with their few belongings as they saw his determination. In their place, he sent forth laborers from the north. When the servants left, he replaced them likewise. But it was lonely among strangers, so Barry had asked me to come. When I heard the fears which had driven the people from Kildare, I laughed as loudly as my friend had laughed. <laughs> For these fears were of the vaguest, wildest, and most absurd character. They had to do with some preposterous legend of the bog, and of a grim guardian spirit that dwelt in the strange olden ruin, on the far islet I had seen in the sunset. 
There were tales of dancing lights in the dark of the moon, and of chill winds when the night was warm, of wraiths in white hovering over the waters, and of an imagined city of stone deep down below the swampy surface. But foremost among the weird fancies, and alone in its absolute unanimity, was the one of the curse waiting him who should dare touch or drain the vast reddish morass. Mm. There were secrets, said the peasants, which must not be uncovered. This has secrets. Some, this has some modern political undertones, doesn't it? Drain the book. <laughs> the secrets that had lain since the plague came to the children of Partholam mm-hmm. in this fabulous years before history. In the Book of Invaders, it is told that these sons of the Greeks were all buried at Talat, but old men in Kildare said that one city was overlooked, saved by its patron moon goddess, so that only the wooded hills buried it when the men of Nemed swept down from the Scythia in their 30 ships. There's some big words in here. You're doing a good job. Thanks, man. Yeah. A lot of Greek stuff going on. I, w- I wasn't really... We were getting into Ireland, and now we're just going into weird yeah, we- Greek mythology i don't i don't know if i'm supposed to know what he's talking about here or if we're just supposed to just go with it but i think we should just go with it yeah yeah i definitely don't know what he's talking about but i'm liking the story such were the idle tales which had made the villagers leave kildare and when i heard them i did not wonder that dennis barry had refused to listen he had however a great interest in antiquities and proposed to explore the bog thoroughly when it was drained the white ruins on the islet he had often visited, but though their age was plainly great and their contour very little like that of most ruins in Ireland, they were too dilapidated to tell the days of their glory. Now the work of the drainage was ready to begin, and the laborers from the north were soon to strip the forbidden bog of its green moss and red heather and kill the tiny shell-paved streamlets and quiet blue pools fringed with rushes. The writing's getting better. Yeah, it's getting a lot better. After Barry had told me these things i was very drowsy for the travels of the day had been wearying and my host had talked late into the night seems like it man Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. a manservant shooed me to my room which was in a remote tower overlooking the village and the plain at the edge of the bog and the bog itself so that i could see from my windows in the moonlight the silent roofs from which the peasants had fled and which now sheltered the laborers from the north and to the parish church with its antique spire and far out across the brooding bog, the remote olden ruin of the islet gleaming white and spectral. Just as I dropped into sleep, I fancied I heard faint sounds from the distance, sounds that were wild and half-musical, and stirred me with a weird excitement which colored my dreams. But when I awaked the next morning, I felt it had all been a dream, for the visions I had seen were more wonderful than any sound of wild pipes in the night, influenced by the legends that Barry had related, my mind had in slumber hovered around a stately city in a green valley where marble streets and statues, villas and temples, carvings and inscriptions all spoke in certain tones the glory that was Greece. When I told this dream to Barry, we both laughed, but I laughed the louder. Ah, ah, ah. Because he was perplexed about his laborers from the north. For the sixth time, they had all overslept, waking very slowly and dazedly, acting as if they had not rested. Sleepy. Yeah, sleepy. Although they were known to have gone early to bed the night before. Well, I mean, how, how does he know? I mean, they might have gone to bed, but how does he know that they fell asleep? They could have been tossing and turning. He's making a lot of assumptions. Yeah, that's a lot of assumptions, Dennis. Yeah. 
That morning and afternoon, I wandered alone through the sun-gilded village and talked now and then with the idle laborers, for Barry was busy with the final plans for beginning his works of drainage. We haven't... He hasn't talked about what he wants to do once he drains the Yeah, I don't really yet. know why he's draining it. I mean, I guess he's just trying to... Maybe he's just trying to see the, the what the ruins are. I guess Just so. exploratory drainage. We'll see. Yeah. The laborers were not as happy as they might have been, for most of them seemed uneasy over some dream which they had had, yet which they tried in vain to remember. Or... You're just not paying them that well, Dennis. Mm. Another Trump parallel. I told them of my dream, but they were not interested till I spoke of the weird sounds I thought I'd heard. Then they looked oddly at me and said that they seemed to remember weird sounds too. In the evening, Barry dined with me and announced that he would begin the drainage in two days. I was glad, for although I disliked to see the moss and the heather and the little streams and lakes depart, I had a growing wish to discern the ancient secrets in the deep matted peat might hide and that my dreams of piping flutes and marble peristyles came to a sudden and disquieting end, for upon the city in the valley I saw a pestilence descend, and then a frightful avalanche of wooden slopes that covered the dead bodies and trees and left unburied only the temple of Artemis on the high peak where the aged moon priestess Cleus lay cold and silent with a crown of ivory on her silver head. I have said that I awaked suddenly in an alarm. For some time I could not tell whether I was waking or sleeping, for the sound of flutes still rang shrilly in my ears. But when I saw on the floor icy moonbeams and the outlines of a lattice gothic window, I decided I must be awake, and in the castle at Kildare. Then I heard a clock from some remote landing below strike the hour of two, and I knew I was awake. Yet still there came that monotonous piping from afar wild weird airs that made me think of some dance of fawns or distant minelos it would not let me sleep in impatience i sprang up from the floor only by chance did i go to the north window and look upon the silent village in the plain edge of the bog i had no wish to gaze abroad for i wanted to sleep but the flutes tormented me i had to do or see something how could i have suspected the thing i was to behold there in the moonlight that flooded the spacious plain was a spectacle which no mortal having seen it could ever forget to the sound of reedy pipes that echoed over the bog there glided silently and eerily a mixed throng of swaying figures reeling through such a revel as the sicilians may have danced to demeter 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 in the old days under the harvest moon beside the cyan. The wide plain, the golden moonlight, the shadowy moving forms all above the shrill, monotonous piping produced an effect which almost paralyzed me. Yet, I noted, amidst my fear, that half of these tireless, mechanical dancers were the laborers whom I had thought asleep, whilst the other half were strange, airy beings in white, half indeterminate in nature, but suggesting pale wistful naiads naiad naiads he's using a lot of words in here that i'm just like should i know this i feel like i feel like these are things these are like howell things i feel like yeah. howell knows the answer to a lot of these european creatures and things but, but suggesting pale wistful naiads from the haunting fountains of the bog i do not know how long i gazed at this sight from the lonely turret window before i dropped suddenly in a dreamless swoon out of which the high sun of morning aroused me. Ooh. 
Sexy. Yeah. My first impulse on awaking was to communicate all my fears and observations to Dennis Berry. But as I saw the sunlight glowing through the latticed east window, I became sure that there was no reality in what I thought I had seen. I'm given to strange phantasms, yet I'm never weak enough to believe in them. So on this occasion, contented myself with questioning the laborers who slept very late and recalled nothing of the previous night save misty dreams of shrill sounds. This matter of the spectral piping harassed me greatly, as I wondered if the crickets of autumn had come before their time to vex the night and haunt the visions of men. Later, do crickets haunt visions of men? I don't know. I've never really been haunted by a cricket. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of like them. I think they're kind of nice. Yeah. Later in the day, I watched Barry in the library, poring over his plans for the great work which was to begin on the morrow. And for the first time, felt a touch of the same kind of fear that had driven the peasants away. For some unknown reason, I dreaded the thought of disturbing the ancient bog and its sunless secrets, and pictured terrible sights lying back from under the unmeasured depth of age-old peat. That these secrets should be brought to light seemed injudicious, and I began to wish for an excuse to leave the castle and the village. I went so far as to talk casually to Barry on the subject, but did not dare continue after he gave his resounding laugh. (laughs) So I was silent when the sun set fulgently over the far hills. This is a perfect example of someone who can't write like that well, but wants to use very, very large, large words. What was the word Folger, Folgersly? Yeah, yeah. It's sunset. The best, well, the best part of waking up yeah. is Fulgently setting suns in your, cup. in your cup, and Kildare blazed all red and gold in a flame that seemed a portent. Hmm. Whether the events of that night were of reality or illusion, I shall never ascertain. Certainly they transcend anything we dream of in nature and the universe. Yet in no normal fashion can I explain those disappearances which were known to all men after it was over. I retired early and full of dread, and for a long time could not sleep in the uncanny silence of the tower. It was very dark, for although the sky was clear, the moon was now well in the wane and would not rise till the small hours. I thought as I lay there of Dennis Berry and of what would befall that bog when the day came and found myself almost frantic with an impulse to rush out into the night to take Berry's car and drive madly out of the valley low, out of the menaced lands. But before my fears could crystalline into action, I had fallen asleep. Sometimes that happens, man. You know, when you like think about something right before you fall asleep and you're like, I should write that down. And you don't write it down. You just accidentally fall asleep. Mm. It sounds like what he was trying to do. I have a feeling he should have gotten in his buddy's car. Yeah, I do too. We'll find out. We'll see. I had fallen asleep and gazed in dreams upon the city in the valley, cold and dead under a shroud of hideous shadow. Probably it was the shrill piping that awakened me. Yet the piping was not what I noticed first when I opened my eyes. I was lying with my back to the east window overlooking the bog where the waning moon would rise and therefore expected to see light cast on the opposite wall before me. But I had not looked for such a sight as now appeared. Light indeed glowed on the panels ahead, but it was not any light that the moon gives. Terrible and piercing was the shaft of ruddy refulgence that streamed through the gothic window. And the whole chamber was brilliant with a splendor intense and unearthly. 
My immediate actions were peculiar for such a situation, but it is only in tales that a man does this dramatic and foreseen thing. Instead of looking out across the bog toward the source of the new light, I kept my eyes from the window in panic, fear, and clumsily drew on my clothing with some dazed idea of escape. I remember seizing my revolver and hat, but before it was over, I had lost them both without firing one or donning the other. After a time, the fascination of the red radiance overcame my fright. I crept to the east window and looked out whilst the maddening, incessant piping whined and reverberated through the castle over all the village. Over the bog was a deluge of flaring light, scarlet and sinister, and pouring from the strange olden ruin of the far islet. The aspect of that ruin I cannot describe. I must have been mad, for it seemed to rise majestic and undecayed, splendid and column-cinctured, the flame reflecting marble of its enablature, piercing the sky like the apex of a temple on a mountaintop. Flutes shrieked and drums began to beat as I watched in awe and terror. I thought I saw dark, saltant forms silhouetted grotesquely against the vision of marble and effulgence. The effect was titanic, altogether unthinkable, and I might have stared indefinitely had not the sound of the piping seemed to grow stronger at my left. Trembling with a terror oddly mixed with ecstasy, I crossed the circular room to the north window from which I could see the village and the plain at the edge of the bog. There my eyes dilated again with a wild wonder as great as if I had not just turned from a scene beyond the pale of nature. For on the ghastly red litten plain was moving a procession of beings in such a manner as none ever saw before save in nightmares. Oh my god. That was good reading. Thanks. We got an yeah. army yeah, yeah. of ghoulies coming. Dude, haints and boogers coming out strong. Half gliding, half floating in the air, and the white clad bog wraiths were slowly retreating towards the still waters and the island ruin of fantastic formations, suggesting some ancient and solemn ceremonial dance. Their waving translucent arms, guided by the detestable piping of those unseen flutes, beckoned in uncanny rhythm to a throng of lurching laborers who followed a dog-like with blind, brainless, floundering steps as if dragged by a clumsy but resistless demon. As the naiads neared the bog, without altering the course, a new line of stumbling stragglers zigzagged drunkenly out of the castle from some door far below my window groped sightlessly across the courtyard and through the intervening bit of village and joined the floundering column of laborers on the plain. Despite their distance below me, at once knew they were the servants who brought from the north. For I recognized the ugly and unwieldy form of the cook, whose very absurdness had now become unutterably tragic. Hmm. Mm-hmm. The flutes piped horribly, and again I heard the beating of the drums from the direction of the island ruin. Then silently and gracefully, the naiads reached out to the water and melted one by one into the ancient bog, while the line of followers, never checking their speed, splashed awkwardly after them and vanished amidst a tiny vortex of unwholesome bubbles, which I could barely see in the scarlet light. And as the last pathetic straggler, the fat cook, sank heavily out of sight in that sullen pool, man being really mean to this cook i know sink heavily he doesn't have to sink heavily positivity bro yeah. come on it's 2018 the flutes and the drums grew silent and the blinding red rays from the ruins snapped instantaneously out 
Oh, ad, more like adverb Lovecraft. That's what I'm saying, dude. Adjectives and adverbs all yeah. in this beat. And big ones and like ones that aren't aren't helping out. Stephen King would not be pleased. Leaving the village of doom lone and desolate in the wan beams of a new risen moon, my condition was now one of indescribable chaos. Not knowing whether I was mad or sane, sleeping or waking, I was saved only by a merciful numbness. I believed I did ridiculous things, such as offering prayers to Artemis, Latona, Demeter, Persephone, and Plauton. All that I recalled of a classic youth came to my lips as the horrors of the situation roused my deepest superstitions. I felt that I had witnessed the death of a whole village, and knew as I was alone in the castle with Dennis Berry, whose boldness had brought down a doom. As I thought of him, new terrors convulsed me, and I fell to the floor, not fainting, but physically helpless. Then I felt the icy blast from the east window where the moon had risen and began to hear the shrieks of the castle far below me. Soon these shrieks had attained a magnitude and quality which cannot be written of, and which make me faint as I think of them. All I can say is they came from something I had known as a friend. That's pretty good, man. What's that shriek? At some time during this shocking period, the cold wind and the screaming must have roused me, for my next impression is of racing madly through the inky rooms and corridors and out across the courtyard into the hideous night. They found me at dawn, wandering mindless near the Bailey Lou. But what unhinged me utterly was not any of the horrors I had seen or heard before. What I muttered about as I came slowly out of the shadows was a pair of fantastic incidents which occurred in my flight, incidents of no significance, yet which haunt me, unceasingly when I am alone in certain marshy places or in the moonlight. As I fled from that accursed castle along the bog's edge, I heard a new sound, common yet unlike any I had heard before at Kildare. The stagnant waters lately quite devoid of animal life, now teemed with a horde of slimy, enormous frogs which piped shrilly and incessantly in tones strangely out of keeping with their size. They glistened, bloated and green in the moonbeams and seemed to gaze up at the fount of light. I followed the gaze of one very fat and ugly frog and saw the second of the things which drove my senses away. Stretching directly from the strange olden ruin on the far islet to the waning moon, my eyes seemed to trace a beam of faint, quivering radiance, having no reflection in the waters of the bog, and upward, along that pallid path, my fevered fancy pictured a thin shadow slowly writhing, a vague, contorted shadow struggling as if drawn by unseen demons. Crazy as I was, I saw in that awful shadow a monstrous resemblance, a nauseous, unbelievable caricature, a blasphemous effigy of him who had been Dennis Barry. Whoa. Yeah. So what, I, I think we're, what are we being, saying? we're Dennis Barry is the is the is, wraith? Is this a is a creepy? He's a ghost. And I guess he turned everybody into frogs? Yeah, I think so. Well first ghost. That's an interesting one, man. This is an interesting one. You know? Did he have any? Well, he had. I mean, obviously, like War of the Worlds, right? That's him. No, that's no? that's H.G. Uh, Wells. Oh, never mind. But what He's did like he Cthulhu. Do? What is he fam- oh, Cthulhu. Call of Dagon. He has some like really famous stuff. He just mainly wait, wrote a lot. H.P. Wait, who did you say was War of the Worlds? H.G. Wells. Oh yeah. See, it's that H. Yep. It's tricky. That's a nice. I like that little story. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. You know, wasn't too good. Wasn't too bad. 
No, but you know, I think it's important. You know, we 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 we, we got to learn about these things. Yeah, Hell, I would have kept on living my life thinking H.P. Lovecraft was War of the Worlds. Oh, yeah, don't think that. No, I, I won't. I won't be doing that anymore. No, he was more. He was like a uh, like a very prolific writer. Not on un, not unlike uh, um, probably pretty similar to Stephen King. You know what I mean? Like in the way yeah. that like. <laughs> When you write a lot, when you write a ton, some of it's going to be good. Well, yeah. And then some of, a lot of it's going to be just not good. I mean, Stephen King is by far and away my favorite author. And I've definitely read three or four of his books that I think just aren't good. Yeah. Just aren't good. But, you know, I mean, I guess that happens. Yeah, it just happens. It's the same thing with old uh, L. Ron Hubbard. He wrote a lot. Yeah. And then one of it, then one of them became a religion. But let's see. Well, heard the truth that I'm trying to find. I want to see like why is he so famous? Because <laughs> he was like one of the original like horror writers. Yeah, not a, not horror. I mean, you know, he wasn't. He was after uh, like Edgar Allan Poe and Mary Shelley and yeah, true all that stuff. But he wrote, you know, like The Call of Cthulhu and like all these. He did a lot of like creepy good stuff there's a lot of like good stories this is really one of his earliest things from the early 20s yeah so this is like it says what he's writing from like the late teens through the 30s mid 30s yeah so this is like 1922 when this story is written yeah. or maybe 1920 i guess that's pretty good for the you know what i mean that's probably pretty pretty shocking stuff in the 1920s yeah yeah i like that yeah hp lovecraft well pete do you want to tell us about the bell witch i do do it i really do um so um so i guess that actually that worked out pretty well we have a, a nice uk themed horror yeah, story that's kind of what i was going for except for i don't think it's like you it's a britonic a, yeah a, a british isles yeah, yeah 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 that's true um and then now we've got one coming from our very own you know uh homeland of middle tennessee uh, so when I was a real little kid, my dad used to tell me stories about the Bell Witch. I think when he was in college, even uh, maybe made a visit to the old the old Bell Farm, um, or at least so he told me. Uh, so for those who don't know, um, I think the uh, is this, this Bell of Bell Buckle fam? I mean, I guess it could it could really could be because the farm. Uh, is, I mean, it's it's called the the bell or the bell homestead because of the guy who owned it john bell um and he said it was like 326 acres 328 acres um which no i mean definitely wouldn't have stretched from from adams tennessee down to bell buckle but it could be the same than that same name mm-hmm. um so if y'all are familiar with the um incredible horror movie the Blair Witch Project. Um, this story, the the legend of the Bell, the Bell Witch was a uh, was was basically inspired that movie, oh. um, and and a lot of others apparently. Um, but so here, here's the story of the Bell Witch. In the early 1800s, John Bell moved his family from North Carolina to the Red River Bottomland in Robertson County, Tennessee. Settling in a community, Red River, which became Adams, Tennessee, many years later. This is just north, maybe about 20, 30 miles north of Nashville. All right. Um, 
Bell purchased some land and a large house for his family. Over the next several years, he acquired more land, increasing his holdings to 328 acres and cleared a number of fields for planting. He also was made the elder of the Red River Baptist Church. The Bells had, had <coughs> the Bells also had three more children after moving to Tennessee. Elizabeth, um, also known as Betsy, uh, was born in 1806, Richard in 1811, and Joel in 1813. Um, one day in 1817, John Bell was inspecting his cornfield when he encountered a strange-looking animal sitting in the middle of a corn row. Shocked by the appearance of this animal, which had the body of a dog and the head of a rabbit, uh, Mr. John huh. Bell shot several times at the animal. Uh, the animal then vanished. Bell thought nothing about it, um, and at least, or at least, and not until after dinner. That that definitely sounds like a. It's like I definitely was not drunk, and I really did see this animal, <laughs> and I shot him nine times, and but he vanished. Yep. I hit him. Yep. He he must have disappeared because I definitely hit him all nine times. Mm-hmm. Yep. So he says. That kind of sounds like a deer, too, but... Dog body with the head of a rabbit. Yeah. yeah. It could be. Well, we'll move on. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, that evening, the Bell family began hearing beating sounds on the outside of their walls of their log house, uh, described as... Uh, I saw another article, that was, or another story, saying that it was uh, the sounds of chains beating the side of the house, someone dropping large stones on the floor on the, on the porch outside of the house, very big, rackety sounds. Um, the mysterious sound continued with increased frequency and force each night. Bell and his sons often hurried outside to catch the culprit, but always returned empty-handed. In the weeks that followed, the Bell children began waking up frightened, complaining that rats were gnawing at their bedposts. Not long after Ooh. that, the children began complaining of having their, beds co- their bed covers pulled from them and their pillows tossed by the floor by a seemingly invisible entity. And a green witch hand with long fingernails grabbing their toes after the after the sheets get off their feet. See, you plan. Mm, wait. All right. As time went on, the bells began hearing faint, whispering voices, which is too weak to understand, but sounded like a feeble old woman singing hymns. Uh-huh. Yeah, just like that. The encounters escalated, and the Bell's youngest daughter, Betsy, began experiencing brutal encounters with the invisible entity. It would pull her hair, slap her relentlessly, often leaving welts and handprints on her face and body. Even felt a hand pulling at her ankle in the night. Mm-hmm. The disturbances which John Bell told his family to keep a secret eventually escalated to such a point that he decided to share his family trouble with his closest friend and neighbor, James Johnson. I saw another account saying that the family were uh, that uh, John Bell asked no one in the family to talk about these things because this is 1817, so uh-huh. 1817 uh, in Middle Tennessee. Yeah, and you know, totally cool to be to own slaves. Totally not cool to talk about your place being haunted. Exactly, exactly. Yep. You didn't want to be thought crazy. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, you were fine owning people. Yes. And being a pastor of the church, yeah, which he was. And Did he own people? Uh, one of the he had three hundred acres. So in one the of the stories say uh, uh, the person Servant. who they think is the bell witch who cursed the family. Uh, the reason she hated them is because uh, some stories say a land deal went bad, and other stories say a slave deal went bad. 
All right. I feel so, like a land deal. I feel like a, the original story was a slave deal, and uh-huh. they changed it to a land deal uh-huh. to make it more palatable to the to the youth. Yes, sir. Yep. I believe that is right. Um, so uh, we, we left with Betsy being tormented in the night. So uh, he finally, John, John Bell, went to his closest friend, James Johnson. Uh, Johnson and his wife spent the night at the Bell home after hearing the story where they were subjected to the same terrifying disturbances as the Bells had experienced. Quick note, there is actual newspaper references from the period huh. talking about the Bell family's terrors. So there's like a lot, there's there's a bunch of them. I, I read a bunch of different things that are like in the time, you know. Well, it's some first-hand there's documentation. Some, there's some documentation, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, after having his own primary covers, source. Yeah, that's right. After uh, This is James Johnson. After having his own bed covers removed and being slapped repeatedly in the night, Johnson sprang, sprang out of bed, exclaiming, In the name of the Lord, who are you and what do you want? There was no response, but the remainder of the night was relatively peaceful. The, voice, uh, the entity's voice strengthened over time uh, to the point that it was loud and unmistakable. sang hymnals, quoted scriptures, carried on intelligent conversation, and once even quoted word for word two sermons that were preached at the same time on the same day, 13 miles apart. Oh. You believe that? Now, if you will turn with me and your (laughs) Bibles to the first chapter of John, Uh verse number 22. The the voice, the the disembodied spooky voice was doing that, that exact thing. Word of this supernatural phenomenon soon spread outside the settlement, even all the way to Nashville, where where the... the, All the the, way down to Nashville? The big city. Oh, my God. Uh-huh. Even to Nashville, where the then major, General Andrew Jackson, even took an interest. Oh. Oh, yes. President Andrew Jackson. He was like, what's that, what's that witch up there? I'm going to go fight it. <laughs> I bet you I can punch a rut in them face. Yeah. Tell you what, you give, you give me a stick, I'll beat that <laughs> thing to death, goddamn. Uh-huh. I'll do it. I'm well, get- that, was, that was his idea. So, yep. John Bell... Drewy Bell and Jesse Bell, John Bell's eldest sons, had fought under General Jackson at the Battle of New Orleans in 1819. Jackson decided to visit the Bell Farm. That's that battle that we fought with the British when the War of 1812 was already over. Uh-huh. That little extra. A little a little small battle hitter. That was what that was. Yep. Uh, One so to grow on. That's right. So after th- two years of uh, of the of the hauntings, in eighteen nineteen, Jackson decided to visit the Bell Farm and to see what all the hoopla was about. Mm-hmm. It actually says hoopla. Mm-hmm. Jackson's entourage consisted of several men, one well groomed. Oh, it's, I'm sorry, several men, some well groomed horses, and a wagon. As they approached, well, you got to have well groomed horses if you're going to go fight the paranormal. That's a fact. Um, as they approached the Bell property, the wagon stopped suddenly. The horses couldn't pull it. Um, in some other tellings of this part of the story, it says the wheels literally locked up. 
they wouldn't roll any further. And so the it horses, wasn't like the horses stopped. No, no, the horses were trying to pull it, and the wheels wouldn't roll. So it was like dragging the cart until the horses stopped pulling. So the wheels were scared, but the horses were. That's why you need well groomed. They didn't have well groomed wheels. That's, that's the problem. A fact. That's the problem. Yeah, scaredy wheels. Mm-hmm. Chicken so wheels. The, so the chicken wheels locked up. Snitch ass wheels. <laughs> wouldn't go any further. So in true uh, Andrew Jackson fashion. He uh, it says here, after several minutes of cursing and trying to co- coax the horses into pulling the wagon, mm-hmm. Jackson proclaimed, by the eternal, boys, that's what it said, that must be the bell witch. Then a disembodied female voice told Jackson that they could then proceed, but that she would see them again later that evening. Ooh, you may proceed. That's exactly how it went. Were you there? No, man. Yeah. Wink, uh-huh. wink. Uh-huh. They were then able to proceed across property. The wheels, you know, started rolling again. Um, up to the lane and then to the Bell home where Jackson and John Bell had a long discussion <laughs> about the Indians and other topics. Mm-hmm. That's what the story said. I'll tell you uh, what that discussion was. Uh-huh. Andrew Jackson walked up and probably just unpro- unprovoked. I just don't care too much about the Indians. What do you think, John? You own well, slaves. What, I didn't, do you, what do you got to say? About I didn't really think about it before this, but uh, I don't know. I don't, why? What? <laughs> that just feels like something that Andrew Jackson would do. You know, just walk up and just be well, like. That's I mean, why Davy Crockett didn't like him. He gets, he, you know, earlier he gets confronted by the witch, and his only his only words are, "By the eternal, boys, that must be the Bell Witch." Yeah. Well, he's a hard dude. Um. Uh, oh, yes, and they said uh, in other topics, while Jackson's entourage was talking about waiting to see if the entity was going to manifest itself that night, as promised by the spectral voice that they earlier had encountered. I'll see you tonight. Yep. One of the men claimed to be a witch tamer. After several uneventful hours, he pulled out a shiny pistol. And That's per- something that you just got to claim back in the day. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, I, I tame you a witch now. I'll about, tell you oh, what. You heard you all about Steve down the road? He, he tames witches. I yeah. heard about it. He's got a shiny pistol them. and everything. Yeah. Put a put a lead on them. Mm-hmm. Get them. All you got to do, like the real trick is, you just got to get them to trust you. If they if they if they That's smell right. your hand, they'll trust you for the rest of their life. That's right. Breathe into their yeah. noses. <laughs> yeah. Just like horses, man. That's right. And uh, so this witch tamer. Um, after several uneventful hours, pulls out a shiny pistol and proclaimed that it's one of one of uh, six silver bullets would kill any evil spirit that came in that came into contact with. When he went on, now I'm curious to know if he actually had silver bullets in it or not, or if yeah. he just thought it's a shiny pistol, so I can just tell people. Just polished those lead ones up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he says it has silver bullets just for killing witches. Uh, he went on to say that nothing. The reason nothing happened that night was because whatever whatever had been uh, disturbing the Bell's property was scared of his silver bullet. Oh, yeah. His witch tamer. Well, that's why he shouldn't have said it out loud. Mm-hmm. You got to keep that to the close to the vest. Mm-hmm. So right after saying that, after they had supped together, uh-huh. um, immediately the man screamed and began jerking his body in different directions, complaining that he was being stuck with pins and beaten severely. I'm glad you said body. Mm-hmm. That's right. He, (laughs) oh yeah, Uh, a strong and swift kick to the man's posterior region. From (laughs) 
Yep. From an invisible foot sent him out the front door. Angry, the entity then spoke. Oh, I'm sorry. Angry, the entity then yeah spoke up and announced that there was yet another fraud in Jackson's party, and that he would be identified and tormented the following evening. Ooh. So, Steve, the witch tamer. Yep. Pissed the ghosts off. Uh-huh. The ghost shows up, beats the hell out of him, kicks him in the posterior region. Right now, I feel like I'm on the ghost side, unless the whole deal with the slave trade gone bad is like is is the the true trueness of the story. I mean, I think that's you know, I think she was trying to get slaves on the low. John. Okay, so I'm not on the ghost. I'm not on team ghost anymore. No, dude, you can't be on the witch's side yeah. ever, especially if it's a slaver witch. Yeah, that's a bad witch. Mm-hmm. All right, so. Right, but like uh, the story up until now, other than being called the witch, just basically sounds like it's an invisible, cranky old grandma that's just beating everybody's ass. (laughs) Well, yeah, you know, always humming hymns and singing Mm -hmm. hymns and 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 reciting, reciting, uh, you know, this just reciting sermons and whatnot, (laughs) and and, scriptures, and you know, kicking people, slapping them, telling them, telling them what's what, throwing their covers off their bed. Yeah, this just this just sounds like an old grand. This just sounds like an invisible grandma at this point in time. Well, but it may yet be. We'll see. Very well, might be an invisible racist grandma as well. Well, that's it was eighteen seventeen in Tennessee, so most grandmas were racist. Yeah, even the even the invisible ones. Uh, I would say especially the invisible ones. Yeah. So she, she, the witch, you know, announces to everybody that there's another fraud, and that then following night they will be tormented as well. She doesn't say who the fraud is, though. Well, we got to find out who the fraud is. Well, we'll see. Now terrified. Now here's this is once the, the ghost says that. Now terrified, Jackson's men begin uh, begged to leave the Bell Farm, but Jackson, on the other hand, insisted on staying so that he could ascertain who was the fraud was. Old Hickory. Mm-hmm. Not afraid of the old ghost. He wanted to know who was fraud in his rank. Yeah, I want to know who in who in here is a lily-livered, yellow-belly son of a bitch. Mm-hmm. The men eventually went outside to sleep in their tents, but continued begging Jackson to leave. What happened next is not clear, according to the legend, but Jackson and his entourage were spotted in the nearby spring, in nearby Springfield, Tennessee, early the next morning, presumable, presumably back en route to Nashville. All right. And so, we didn't find out who the next fraud was? No. It may have been uh may have been Jackson. You know, maybe he was really scared. He was just talking big game. I'm, I don't I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> it, I would I would I would hedge that cuz like I don't know if anybody's going to haunt somebody I I got the I'm just telling you right now Pete, you and a whole parcel of silver bullets. Versus the ghost yeah. Andrew Jackson, I'm my money's take, on Andrew Jackson. He may he may have been uh, he may have been an asshole. He may have been terrible to natives. <laughs> he may have been, he he was he was a monster, but he's a brave. Monster. He was a badass. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It probably wasn't yeah. him, but something in the course of the next night made them all leave. Supposedly, mm-hmm. over time, Betsy Bell became interested in a fellow named Joshua Gardner. A young man who lived not far from her, and who, according to some other stories, was her school teacher. All right. Don't stand so, don't mm-hmm. stand so close Ghost to, to me. Ghost to me. Ghost to me. Yeah. With the blessing of their parents, both of them, they decided to marry. Everyone was happy about their engagement. At least, almost everyone. The entity. I bet you the witch ain't ain't happy uh-uh. about it. For reasons unknown to this day, repeatedly told Betsy not to marry Joshua Gardner. Hey, girl, 
Don't marry Josh. This really does sound more and more like an old grandma now that you're talking about. I know. I'm telling you. That boy's too old for you. You can quit messing around with him. Get back to church. Uh Uh-huh. Invisible grandma. Yep. Well, Betsy and Josh was... Oh, yeah. Oh, wait. Hold on. No, I'm sorry. I had that wrong. That wasn't his school teacher. Betsy and Joshua's former school teacher, Richard Powell, had been noticeably noticeably interested in Betsy. That's the school teacher. Oh, so this is Sting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Uh, for some, he had been interested in Poor Betsy Indiana for some Jones. time and expressed interest in marrying her when she became older. By some accounts, Powell, who was 11 years Betsy's senior, was a student of the occult, although it has not been proven. He was secretly married to a woman in nearby Nashville named Esther Scott. That's a witch name if I've ever heard it. Uh-huh. During the time he spent in Red River expressing his fondness for Betsy. According to the old accounts, Paul Powell politely Paul politely expressed his disappointment with Betsy's engagement and wished her a long and prosperous marriage with Joshua Gardner. So I guess some people think because he was maybe wrapped in the occult, he put the witch on. Okay, so he was he was or at least if he didn't put the witch on the family because they feel like the witch happened before, but I well, think he teamed up with the. I think he was. I think he was in cahoots. Yeah, I think he was in cahoots. He's out there playing. With, he was parlaying with the witch. Uh, he pl- yeah. Well, he parlaying with Bezel Bob. He's out yeah. there, talk, you know, dancing with the devil. Yep. And, and the devil's uh, like, "Hey, you want this Betsy girl? Uh-huh. I know the witch that's been haunting up their family. Mm-hmm. I yep. think that's exactly what happened. And then he put them, put them two to put uh, put them contact up. Uh, gave them each other's. Uh, local telegraph station mm-hmm. addresses that's right so betsy and joshua um dear witch stop please haunt <laughs> betsy stop thanks stop no yep. that's what happened probably yeah. um so in in the in the months to come during their engagement betsy and joshua would could uh, could not go to the river, the field, or the cave. Now, the cave plays a big part in the modern legend uh-huh. of the Bill What were they doing out in the cave? Well, probably, you know, all, all sorts of uh, hanky-panky and whatnot. Uh-huh. Show, uh, she was lifting up her skirt, showing him her ankles. Her, uh-huh. That's right. Showing elbows. A little bit of shin. Yep. Um, but so they couldn't go to those places, the river, the fields, the pasture, the cave, none of these places without getting in, uh, without the entity taunting them persistently. Their patients finally reached critical mass, and on Easter Monday, on Easter Monday, all right, of 1821, Betsy met Joshua at the river, broke off the engagement. The disturbances deceased, uh, decreased after Betsy ended the engagement, but entirely continued to express his dislike for John Bell and valued relentlessly to kill him. So the she, entity, yeah, the witch, the witch. So, mm. yeah, old dude put the put the old booger. On Betsy and Joshua, they broke up after getting. It spooked. feels like the witch has been around the she whole has. time from seventeen. This is eighteen twenty one now. I know, the that's witches, but that's what I'm saying. I don't. I don't feel like the. I think old boy got what he wanted. The the Mister yeah, Mister old school teacher school teacher man. Yeah. I think that I think the witch. Yeah, Sting Sting got her to stand close to him, mm-hmm. and I think that the the witch. Just already has has it out for John. But yeah, she no hates John because they either he either Betsy stole land or slaves project. or something. That was a, that was a side quest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she got that was a contract. She got yeah. hired out just to mess with her in particular. Um. So yeah, so they split up, and the witch is like, "Cool, y'all are done, but I'm still gonna get. I'm gonna I'm gonna kill John Bell." 
So it's now... Uh, As you do. Yeah, that's right. Um, Bell had been experiencing episodes of twitching in his face, difficulty mm-hmm. swallowing for almost a year, uh, and the malady seems to Is this to where we get worse. Bell's palsy from? Oh, I don't know. Maybe. Because that's what that is, really? I think. I mean, it's like an extreme form of... Uh, it's like deadening face, that type thing. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. We'll find out. We'll find out. Uh, so we've gone back a year now, apparently. This is, this is by the fall of 1820. His declining health um, had confined him to the house where the entity commenced to removing his shoes whenever he tried to walk, slapping him in the face and whenever he experienced seizures. seizures. Her loud, shrill voice could be heard all over the farm, cursing and chastising old Jack Bell. That's what she called him, apparently. Uh, as she often referred Jack, to him. Jack, come in. Check. <laughs> exactly. John, Brell, John Bell breathed his last breath on the morning of eight of December, <laughs> December 20th. Is that Christian's birthday? It is Christian's birthday. Hey, Christian. If you're listening, uh, you and John Bell. There you go. Hey, December 20th, eighteen. Are you trying to insinuate that Christian is the reincarnation of John Bell? I didn't say that. You said that. Okay. Um, after slipping into a coma the day before. So he goes into a coma and he dies the next day. Immediately after his death, the family found a small vial of undef- undefined liquid in the cupboard. Uh-oh. John Bell Jr. gave some of it to the cat, which the, then the cat died Meow. instantly. Meow. Yep. The entity then spoke up, exclaiming joyfully, I gave old Jack a big dose of that last night, which fixed him. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Doctor John. Oh no, Doctor John. John Junior. That's pretty good for him to. That cat died immediately after that poison, and John just slipped into a coma and then went away peacefully the next day. That's right. John Junior quickly threw the vial into the fireplace, where it burst into a bright bluish flame and shot up the chimney. <laughs> Boy, John Bell's funeral was one of the largest ever held in Robertson County, Tennessee. As family and friends began leaving the graveyard, the entity laughed loudly and began singing a song about a bottle of brandy. Bottle in the sailor say brandy, you're yeah. a fine girl, a such a fine wife you would be. Okay. So then it is then said that her singing didn't stop until the very last person left the graveyard. So all these people at the one of the largest funerals ever to be held in Robertson County, Tennessee, all say they heard this old lady singing these songs about the entity's presence was almost non-existent after John's Bell, John Bell's demise, uh, as if its purpose has been fulfilled. Hmm. Until in April of 1821, bum, bum, bum. the entity visited John Bell's widow, Lucy, and told her that it would return for her... Oh, yeah, this is my favorite part. It would return for a visit in seven years. The entity then returned in 1828, as promised. Most of its visits centered around John Bell Jr., with whom the entity uh, discussed such things as the origin of life, civilizations, Christianity, and the need for a mass spiritual awakening. Hmm. Of particular significance where it nearly uh, accurate, oh, it had a a nearly accurate prediction of the Civil War and other events. Supposedly given to John Bell Jr., all right. The entity said farewell after three weeks, promising to visit John Bell's most direct descendant in 107 years. The year would then uh, would have been 1935. 
and the closest living direct descendant of John Bell at that time was Nashville physician Dr. Charles Bailey Bell. Dr. Bell himself wrote a book about the Bell Witch, published in 1934, the year before. There was no follow-up published, and Dr. Bell died in 1945. So we don't know if he he got visited. We don't know. I mean, he wrote the book about it now. Yeah, but in 1934, that was the year before he was going to get revisited, reacquainted with the with the Bell Witch. That's true. I wonder if I'm related to these people. I don't know. I'll find out. Robertson County be. is that's a I'm related to the Robertsons. Are you? Yeah, from my my paternal grandmother's side. Oh, there you go. So they still say. They still say. If you if you are related, you might want to stay clear of Robertson, Tennessee. Because what they say is the faint sounds of people talking and children playing can still sometimes be heard in the area. Uh-huh. It's not uncommon to see candle lights dance through the dark fields late at night. Photography is especially difficult on the property. Some pictures taken in the area show mist, orbs of light, and other phenomena, including human-like figures who were not present when the pictures were taken. And are there any rods on there? <laughs> I have no, no reports of rods okay. yet. Um. Let's see. Oh, yeah. So they're saying the, the reason for the haunting of the Bell family is remains a mystery. Numerous theories abound, but there is not one theory that is universally agreed upon by the Bell Witch enthusiasts and researchers. There probably never will be. Different people have different standards of proof. Most agree that there is something very wrong in the Red River Settlement in the early 1800s and that there may very well be something wrong there today. Wow. And then the last line of this, which I think is fun, it says, who knows? It happened It happened to the John Bell family in 1817. Maybe next time it will happen to your family. Hold that thought for now. Pleasant dreams. Mm. Wow. It could happen to any of your families, any says. of our families. I mean, if you're selling slaves to witches. Yeah. Or buying slaves from witches. Or invisible grandmas. <sighs> you're, look, you're asking for a haunt, boy. I'll tell you yeah. that. Done asking for a hunt. Oh, yeah. I see. I'd never heard this whole story, like all these details. I didn't really know anything about it other than, yeah, my dad is from Columbia, Tennessee, Mm -hmm. which is about, I don't know, I'd say. All our listeners know. 60 or so, 70 miles maybe away from from, uh, Adams, Tennessee, which I guess is the town that this is. Um, And. So I can remember him telling me stories about the Bell Witch, and I the way I remember it, he he went to the house when he was a youngster, in like high school or college or something, and uh, some creepy stuff happened, but I don't remember what it was. So I'll yeah. try to I'll get the story from Pops and update. Definitely get him. Um. So there it is. You know, there it is a nice Irish spooky tale, and nice. and uh, Middle Southern, Tennessee Southern, yeah, spooky tale. Uh, with some, you know, Robertson County, that's Scottish, Robertson, mm-hmm. Donaldson, that's right. all thems. Um, man, yeah. Well. There it is. Those happy happy Howl's Ween. Yeah. Part two. There you go. As per usual, you can find us uh, on the internet at Firescape Pod on all the social medias. Send us any of your scary stories. Maybe we'll read them next year or just, you know, whenever on the podcast at Firescapepod at gmail.com. You can follow me at Coldra Levi on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow me on Instagram, buttermilk underscore Pete. 
And uh, hopefully Howell will be back in America soon. I don't know. He might even be here. We don't know. Yeah, we have no idea. So, all right. Know. Well, bye. Yeah. with the beer we got. I mean, the beer we got drank pretty good, don't it? The fire escape. The days are getting shorter, and you can feel it in the air. Yes, it's that time of year. Pumpkin is finally back at Dunkin'. It's the cozy you've been craving all summer long, now in your cup at Dunkin'. Pick up all of your pumpkin favorites, like the signature pumpkin spice iced latte, or a pumpkin iced coffee, and bakery items like pumpkin donuts and muffins. Sip into something comfortable to celebrate the start of cozy season. Use the Dunkin' app for contactless ordering. America runs on Dunkin'. Right now, switch your family to T-Mobile and get four lines for $25 a line with AutoPay and 5G access included on America's largest 5G network. So don't wait. Get unlimited and nationwide 5G access for the whole family for just $25 a line. Visit a T-Mobile store or T-Mobile.com today. Plus taxes and fees. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using over 50 gigs a month due to data prioritization. Video at 480p. Unlimited while on our network. Qualifying credit. Four plus lines required. Capable device required for 5G. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain features. See T-Mobile.com.